welcome to episode 35 of the Night Gallery podcast. My name's Chris Brown. Today we're talking about silent snow, secret snow. It's uh, a story written and directed by Gene Kearney and is based on the short story by Conrad Aiken, uh, which he wrote all the way back in 1934. For our last offering in the Night Gallery... A painting that brings to life a literary classic from the pen of Conrad Aiken, fragile, lovely, haunting. It's titled Silent Snow, Secret Snow. So our narrator is Orson Welles, and he tells a story of a young boy, a lad who's about 12-ish of age, who is called Paul. Uh, Paul's a young man with a secret. He's able to see a world of snow. The snow everywhere. Of an evening, he can he can feel it and understand it just outside his door, and in the uh, streets, <clears throat> he can hear the sounds of the postman approaching, that crunching in the air. But every day, he wakes up, and it's gone. It seems to be something that is is there, but not quite real. Paul is withdrawing. He's um, listening to voices that are telling him to embrace the snow. His uh, parents and his, his teacher uh, believe that he's just daydreaming, but in reality, this voice is getting stronger and stronger within his mind. The boy's uh, mum and dad uh, begin to worry and uh, therefore decide to contact the family doctor to examine him and uh, see what's wrong. But... Um, even as they're outside discussing what might might or might not be wrong, um, the lad's getting increasingly irritated. And uh, again, the voice inside his head is uh, telling him to embrace the snow. And this voice is coming increasingly loud and clear. Even here, even among these hostile presences... The snow was waiting out of sight with a voice that said, Wait, Paul, just wait till we are alone together. I will tell you something new, something cold, something sleepy, something of cease and peace and the long bright curve of space. So Paul obeys the voice and um, runs up into his bedroom. He's surrounded by snow and... um, is filled with with love and happiness at what's happening. But then his mum arrives into the room and he uh, finally snaps. All the snow disappears completely. He turns to her and says how much he hates her. He's, He's furious, tells her to go away, to leave him alone, which is exactly what he wants. He wants to be left alone in this in this world, this fantasy that he's created. This fantasy made entirely of snow. Paul, Paul, dear, Paul, Mother, go away, Paul, please, I hate you, and with that final effort, everything was solved, the seamless hiss advanced once more, listen, it said, we'll tell you the last, most beautiful and secret story. A story that gets smaller and smaller, that comes inward 
Instead of opening like a flower, it is a flower that becomes a seed, a little cold seed. Do you hear? We are leaning closer to you. And with that, the boy drifts into his snowy world and a darkness is what descends over him. Um, <clears throat> as you can tell, I mean, the story's actually not quite that long. It's um, 16 minutes, something like that. Um, but it is, uh, and it's quite a simple story as well. Um, but where it comes in is, is, is the, the poetry behind it, the way it looks, the way it feels... Um, Gene Kearney uh, had already done a black and white short of this story back in 1966 Um, it shows an obvious love for it Um, if you go to uh, Twilight Zone Net website uh, that's www.twilightzonenetwork.com or look at the Night Gallery podcast uh, stream uh, the the, the podcast stream on iTunes, you'll notice that I put a, a version of that that short, the, the original black and white short, up for you to download. Um, it's it's on a, it's MP4 format, so it'll work on your iPod, but obviously it'll work on your computer as well if you don't have a video iPod. It is um, it's an interesting video. It is quite artsy, uh, low budget, very stark, and it's black and white, uh, quite haunting in a way. Um, it's obviously extremely low budget. Uh, is what I'd say about that one. It, it, you know, some of the acting is is very wooden. Um, the lad's mum in it is really struggling <laughs> with, uh, with with delivering some lines in it. But it is it's a very very beautiful work uh, and definitely worth a look as a companion to to this story. It's worth giving you know seeing the roots of this. I mean, a lot of his ideas are already formed back in '66 when he basically remakes it for Night Gallery. Uh, Kearney, uh, what what he does get instead with this is a far larger budget. He's got a, a bigger budget to work with, um, and it shows. They were using the uh, universal backlot, um, and uh, there was a ridiculous attention to detail. Quite a lot of the shooting is done outside with the snow, and... Um, that's done with uh, white, sand, white sand and some uh, plastic, bits of plastic. Um, but also they had things like icicles that dripped. And um, it looks ridiculously real. They must have spent a fortune on it and so much time and effort for this one story. Because it looks very much like a snowy scene. And it, it makes a difference. Um, I would say that, it, it you know, it... it the 66 version is very stark and feels like a, like a student film, really. But this feels like, you know, a big TV budget kind of job. Uh, something for Sunday night, you know. Ah, uh, well, Thursday night it was at this stage. And um, that really that really comes out. And for better or for worse, I mean, it is very impressive. Very, very impressive. Although it does, you know, it has that kind of TV gloss on it, which the, uh, the, the, the black and white version doesn't have. Um, but if you're going to talk about you know grandeur, about making something look really good, I mean you've got to look at Orson Welles in this. Um, he did it for free. He did it for his love of the story. Would you believe? Um, the lad who plays Paul uh, is 
Radamiris Pera, and he says, Gene wanted Orson Welles to narrate it. It was sort of a fantasy of his, so he sent a copy of the script and a cover letter to Welles, saying, If you'd like to do this, please let us know what your fees are, and we can arrange to have you come to the studio and do the recording. We went into production, shot the show, and never heard anything back. They went into post-production and actually had an air date and still no response. They were going to to go another route, and one day a Miller envelope arrived in Kearney's office containing nothing but a reel of quarter-inch tape. It was the entire narration. Um, Wells had decided to record it there and then, late admittedly, but with no reason or, or rhyme or explanation. He just did it. And um, he didn't actually ask for any payment for that either. So really, it has to be a sign that um, that he did it for the love of the story and he really wanted to do it. Also, um, I mean, as a choice for a narrator, you instantly give it this weight, this big weighty gloss. Um, it, you know, th- that voice, it gives it the story gravitas, but also, you know, uh, it, it makes the uh, embrace of the snow seem more... Um, more weighted more grounded and um, you know it is it it really adds something I mean obviously I mean you assume that the reason Wells went for it is because it is is a story that is ambiguous in its nature it is in a sense it is you know for the many it is about madness and about autism about people who decide that they want to embrace something other than what's happening around them um, the idea of snow being creeping towards a young man and then grabbing him and dragging him down I mean you know his hatred of his parents and his frustrations are based on very little really <laughs> they don't seem to I mean you know there's, there's an element of this harmony in the family but it's not particularly big it's not a big thing um, it is just there in the um, in the background and um, the boy is, um, you know, he, he, you know, his mother wants to check he's okay, and he sees that as a threat, and um, you know, an annoyance at what's happening. But as I said, it is open to interpretation. Um, this week, I put up a link to a version of the story online, and I was talking about eBooks, but I, I mean, I just haven't had a chance to do that. Um, but instead, what I've done is obviously give you the the short, the video short, and, and given and there is a link so you can read it online if you wish. But um, a guy called Stan, who was kind enough to lead uh, feedback on the website, uh, said the following: uh, beautifully written yet chilling story. Some can read it as a metaphor for advancing mental illness, but I take it more as a horror tale. The multiple voices voices suggest to me demonic possession. People think it occurs rapidly, but possession really is a series of tiny p- permissions that are given. It is a subtle invasion. If you read anything on the subject, this is a pretty accurate description how satan- satanic entities work. Now, first of all, I say re- thank you very much, Stan, for giving your feedback and also offering something that's uh, slightly different to uh, the, the normal readings. But I, I think you're right to, an, to a point. Um, I certainly agree that that um, the idea of um, you know, of mental illness and um, also possession uh, are deeply entwined in literature and in, in horror. Um, it is a, a classic kind of thing where you um, 
you can, uh, you know, people do generally, you know, they, they, they confuse the two at some points, I mean, in, 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 in various different right ways. And it's and very true also that that interpretation is, is, is a really interesting and valid one. And, and certainly something for Night Gallery, um, it is, you know, it is certainly, it, it is there, particularly with the shadow that goes over the face at the end of the story. I think um, what it does do is revel in that ambiguity. Um, you know, that force that is undeniably there, that is controlling and manipulating the boy and is, 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 is either, either, you know, is taking him away from his family. And either that is madness or some form of mental illness or, or autism or it's something unknown and dangerous. And I think for me, that's the most important reading for it. That is a greyness to it. Although, you know, the lad decides that he doesn't want to be with his his mum or his dad or, or his classmates or, 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 or his teacher anymore. And he just wants to be in his own world his own, and embrace this, this blizzard white of nothingness. And um, that shadow, I think, is either a spirit, as, as you say yourself, or indeed something more than that, something um, some different, I should say, not more, but like a, but a, you know, at the very least, something very, very bad, and potentially something that that Paul Connor can never get away from, be that a demon, or be that his own uh, his own mental illness. Um, Salem himself is said to have not really grasped the story and voiced concerns that it was too opaque, too oblique um, and too, you know, too too vague. Um, I think, you know, for me personally, that it's, it, it isn't. But, um, you know, that for me, that's it's one of its strengths. I mean, Night Gallery and uh, Twilight Zone are known for having stories and not necessarily feeling the need to give you too much interpretation. And, you know, the, at, at its heart, the horror of this story is, if nothing else, just stepping towards a, you know, oblivion and stepping away from reality. The lad who is, the, uh, Paul, is, uh, as I said, was played by um, Renamus Perez. He is a uh, Kwai Chan Kane in Kung Fu, or goes on to be that, you know, the, long, the young lad in there. Um, he's good. He, he, you know, he... It's a tough role for anybody, but to be able to kind of bring that kind of has to always have to want to distance yourself and be separate from the world around you, but also to you know be able to um, you know make yourself be a sympathetic character, but also to be um, you know to show that frustrations and uh, and also to, you know to be to remind people of what it was like to be a little bit young and feel a little bit misunderstood. But also, you know, secretive as well. Um, he said um, about this ending, and I, I, it goes again. It, it, it goes with what, what with what Stan said. I think, really, to be fair, he says, "I just imagine that this boy living in a sunny climate had this obsession with about snow, and that w- that this was his escape from reality. He didn't have a very." intimate relationship with his parents his dad particularly was very cold to him and this is Paul's way of escaping to a place that means something to him that is his solace when there's no one around that exists for him and that's what finally that finally drives him away from his parents when his mother bursts into his bedroom and the snow disappears she makes him realise for a moment that he is creating this thing he's totally shattered because it's completely destroyed his illusion 
But I mean, this this part of the quote is what is really is really interesting. A bit. Gene told me he felt the pull crosses over to the other side, and that other side could be physical death or it could be mentally dying to this world, totally entering over into the fantasy world, which one could interpret as autism. I mean, that kind of idea of of, of you know stepping over, but it is deliberately and wonderfully uh, obs- you know obscure and and it it. it, it doesn't want it wants you to bring to it in your own interpretation um but the other side of that is that you know i think for some people it's, it, it can be a bit jarring in terms of being a story that is too much um too much of a, a you know too, too too obscure too bleak it can be difficult as well for people to get a real grasp on what's happening um it's a story that is um, the actual story itself is, is you know it, because it includes the Orson Welles narration uh, and also uh, a lot of music as well from Paul Glass which kind of gives it a very um, literary um, kind of feel to it like poetry and that kind of also <clears throat> create, makes it feel a bit otherworldly and more of, more of a story than um than necessarily uh, something to frighten. Um, it, it goes to a different kind of place than that, really. Although, it, again, it is quite a, a you know the frightening concept is you know stepping away and wanting to withdraw from everything. It wouldn't be Night Gallery without some kind of tension on the set. Um, oh, we've got some great stuff coming up for you as well when it comes to that next week. Um, <clears throat> The, the the lad. I mean, he's a child, and it's this is horrible. But um, Rodriguez Perez says, um, you know, he had an incident that I think was a, quite a learning lesson for him. He basically gets on the wrong end of Curly Linden's uh, bad temper, and he uh, he was uh, a cinematographer, did a lot of work on Night Gallery, and uh, he had a uh, yeah, he had a bit of a yeah, he, he had a bit of bounce to him when he wanted. The director of photography was very annoyed with me during this production, and at one point he took me aside and said, you spoilt brat, you think you're this great actor, well you're terrible, something to that effect. I don't know why, I don't remember myself being other than just good-natured. Um, for some reason this guy just had it out for me. Look at him now from an adult perspective, I would say he probably had a drink problem. But it did shake me up, and I guess that was that I was more serious after that point, and a little bit scared of the guy because he really freaked me out. Um, yeah, so I mean that's not nice, and I, I wonder exactly. I mean, Kelly had a reputation apparently come to the uh, after hours tour book. Then uh, you know, I took that quote from then uh, of having a bit of a reputation of being a bit of a hothead. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, Perry is very proud of the work that he did on this story, uh, and rightly so. It, you know, it's difficult to do something about these kind of dark edges of of the mind, with you know, without it being a bit corny or a bit cliched. And uh, they do a really good job. Um, you know, it, it <clears throat> is is it horror? Is it not? I've said already that it you know it it, it, it it's about something horrific rather than horrifying. Or you know, and 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 those scares, but um, it's very different. Let's put it that way, and it's unique. Um, it has a great feel to it, uh, a poetic feel, and uh, I think, much like the snow, I think we should embrace it 
for its differences. Banish them, refuse to speak. Go upstairs to your room. I will be waiting for you. I will tell you a story better than the snow ghost. I will surround your bed, pile a deep drift against the door, so that none will ever again be able to enter. Okay, so, um, just a bit of housekeeping before we go. Um, if you want, to, well, thanks again, obviously, to Stan for leaving some feedback for us. Um, I think it's, re- it's really good, and it's great to be able to incorporate some opinions into uh, what I'm saying. Um particularly when they're as interesting as yours, mate. Um, if you want to uh, do that, there's lots of ways to do it, but you can um, you can email at chris at thetwilightzonenetwork.com. If you've got any feedback on former shows, you can leave it on our website, www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com, and I'll get back to you either on there. Um, on there also is our Facebook uh, and our Twitter um, so you can uh, just click through and uh, either become a fan or follow us if you're on Twitter or you can talk to me directly at at orange underscore monkey uh, that's my private Twitter feed so it can be a bit random um, so you don't, <laughs> don't be too disheartened <laughs> I won't take it personally if you don't, if you don't, if you don't stick with me um, anyway, next week we've got Jack Laird's debut direction directing role Um it's called A Question of Fear. Uh, and it's a beast. It's like, it's nearly, it's the best part of the episode. It's like 38 minutes. Uh, it's cracking. It's a real, like, haunted house, old school kind of story. Um, and the story about what happens behind the scenes is almost as good as what happened, uh, in, you know, in front of the camera. It is, uh, yeah, Led gets himself into a bit of trouble and it uh, shows it's not quite as easy, I think, as he thought it was uh, to do direction on such a tight TV uh, budget and on uh, tight deadlines as well. Okay, so uh, until then, take care and I will speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>